Living Life Under the Sun is the title of today's message taken from Genesis chapter 36 and verses 1 to 43. How can we live our life profitably, usefully, before life loses its strength and we sit in regret of a wasted life? Jesus gave this word of advice for people who can't free themselves from the pursuit of the things of this world, the material, the materialism and the demands of competition to catch a glimpse at the end of their lives and to take stock. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12 and verses 16 to 21. Here our Lord Jesus gives us a picture of a man living this earthly life with a passion, finally to be a successful man who would go to hell. Luke chapter 12 verse 16 says, The ground of a rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull now my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be, which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Today we examine the life of Esau. Esau was such a man who layeth up treasure, as it were, for himself. You see that he had a great empire. Kings and dukes, princes come, came from him. And such a materialistic, glamorous life in the standard of this world. You see him appearing in the papers often, the founder of a dynasty, founder of nations, rulers and kings, and you see him surrounded by all the good things of this life. But here, the Lord wants us to see how such a life will not measure up. Solomon lived such a life under the sun and lamented at the end of his life. He confessed, he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2 to 3, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man 
of all his labor which he taketh under the sun. Dear friends, we are to study and understand and examine in our lives. If our life is rich toward God, that's ultimately the measure that God gives to us. Can there be any real value and meaning in man's labor on this earth that is apart from God? The answer is no. Why, you may ask? The word vanity means vapor or breath. The world's ambitions, desires, pursuits, Solomon concluded, gives no real satisfaction to the soul. For when we breathe our last breath, that's it. We leave behind the fruits of all our labor. We cannot bring with us. Hence, he is teaching this concept that anything that is of real value must be eternal. Anything that is of real value must be eternal. What is of value must be able to last. And as the people of God, the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are asked to seek the everlasting things. We are asked to seek not the temporal things, but the things that will be eternal, the things that will not be corrupted with the decay of time and the ruin of time. The truth is that this world's life and its pursuit, like a vapor, like the morning dew, evaporate in no time. When the sun is up, the life, the dew fizzles off, that life is over. This is what Solomon says concerning this life under the sun, a life apart from God, apart from the value system that God has appointed for us. You see, when we place our security upon the things of this earth, you'll find that this security is indeed not that secure at all. And God wants us to see and learn so that we would not fix our eyes upon the things that we will see, but the eternal things which we cannot see, the things that are of true value, real value. The Lord gives us this text, chapter 36, in order to teach us a good lesson from the life of the Edomites. You see, there is a great contrast between the life of Esau and his descendants. If you read and you follow the text, you would see the descendants and the kingdom and the pomp and the glamour 
of that life. Whereas, if you were to contrast the life of Jacob, the younger brother, it's quite different. You turn with me to just one chapter after, chapter 37, and verse 1. It says here, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. You see, while Esau was trying to his best to make for himself a name, make for himself a possession, make for himself an authority in this world. Jacob was quite different. He was living the life of a shepherd. He was living that quiet life in a land of God's choosing, which he didn't own. And Esau's descendants were mighty chieftains. They were mighty dukes, famous people. Whereas Jacob's descendants, you would see, were slaves in Egypt. The way to earthly success, to fame, to power, brings visible results. But this is not the road of obedience to the will of God, which is slower, less visible, many times. The worldly road focuses on the things which are seen. The goal of this world, and you see that there is a contrast for the people of God, God's people, God's way are not seen. As we saw in our memory verse, in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you see Solomon telling us how he tried this, he tried that. He was the richest man in the world, having the greatest resources available to any man. And he enjoyed all that enjoyment brings to a man in this world. You name it, he has tried it. That's Solomon. Why is it that at the end of all this, he gives that note of regrets? Can we understand the regrets that were in the lamentation of Solomon at the end of his life? Well, he wrote it not for himself, you know, because it was a shameful thing. He had departed from the Lord. The kingdom was rent into two immediately after his death. It was a judgment. For he has departed from God. He went after the idols of this world. Did God not 
promised to Solomon wisdom, and with it comes with all that he would ever need to live this life to the glory and honor of God. He built the greatest temple that God would himself stoop to dwell, dwell in never before. And yet, what happened? Why did he stray? Because his eyes, devotion were shifted. Shifted from the giver to the gift. From God to the material things of this world and how important it is that the people of God must realize. Jesus gave this advice. He says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Jesus says the way with God is a not popular way. Few there be that go in there at Matthew 7 verses 13 to 14. But the way that leadeth to life is through the straight gate and the narrow way. And few there be that find it. And God wants you to find that way. For here he says that there is another way, the broad way, that leadeth to destruction. And many are moving headlong in that way. How frightening it is. There was a man who has been working and working and working and he says that I thought that I would build for myself something of this world. But suddenly he realized that uh, there was something growing on his chest and he had to go for an operation. And after the operation, he realized that, whoa, what is life? I've been working my hearts out, thinking that I would build for myself something in this life. And I almost lost it. And he was awakened to consider and think. Consider the value system of his life. And... It was an awakening. And for us, as we see the life of Esau, that life in the broad way, it must jot us to identify ourselves. Well, woe to us if we are living that life and going that way. But the scripture gives us the warning so that we will not end up that way. 
In that sad state, two thoughts, the unequal yoke, verse 1 to 8, and the unprofitable life on the Broadway, verse 9 to 43. The unequal yoke, verse 1 of our text says, now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. Esau took his wives of the daughters of Canaan. Now, you know that the Canaanites were uh, people that do not love God. And they are a very carnal and very immoral and very cruel people. So when Esau married the daughters of Canaan, it was a sad thing for the parents. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 26 and verse 34. Genesis 26 and verse 34. And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri, Beri the Hittite, and Bashemeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, the people of the land. And verse 35 says, Which were a grief of mine unto Isaac and to Rebekah. So they were believers in the covenant family of God, protected, but they went astray, they went out. And they would not turn back once they go on that broad highway because it seems so good. Life was that good. You know, when you begin work and you begin with a certain income, and you said, I tied to the Lord this. But as you continue working, and you work hard, you realize that, oh, the salary increases by lips and by bounds. And uh, you realize that, oh, yes, I continue to give to the Lord. But very soon, you realize that, hey, all these things seem to be so good and it's so abounding and it's so captivating. And a man began to change, to love the things that comes with an increase that comes. So his devotion is shifted. Esau, you would see, was such a person pursuing the route of the highway. And you recall when the family first came to Canaan, God gave a specific instruction to grandfather. 
Genesis 24 and verse 3. You turn there. Genesis 24 and verse 3. And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heavens and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Abraham knew the danger of the unequal yoke. And here you see Esau falling into that trap of the unequal yoke. That his affection was shifted from the eternal to the temporal. From the eternal to the temporal. From God to the gods that he would make with his own hands. And that was, will be the greatest disaster for any man. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 14 to 18. Here the Apostle Paul clearly pointed out the urgent need for separation. He says here, Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, and what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement he hath of the temple, hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, and as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The value system of these wives were very different and turned his heart away from God. It was the case for Esau. That's why the parents were so sad. They knew that they were on the highway to destruction. And it is the same for Solomon. He was deeply affected but by the wives that he would marry, they would bring him away to worship the idols of the land. He repented at the end, but he regretted that it was a wasted lives. So you notice the wives that the, the, the children that the wives of Esau Ball him in verse 4 to verse 6. And Eda, bear Esau, Eliphaz, Bashemesh, bear Ruel, 
and Aholibama bear Jewesh and Jaalam and Korah and these are the sons of Esau which were born unto him in the land of Canaan and Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and cattle and all his substance which he had gotten in the land of Canaan and went into the country from the face of his brother Esau, uh, Jacob. Here he says that he took his wives and left for their riches were more than they might dwell together and the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. When we shift our affection from the love for God and His will, which is that they would dwell in the land of Canaan, to the material things of this world, this is what Esau will do. He would leave the land of promise and that he would go and pursue after the good life. And when he did so, you'll find that he was very successful. That's the natural man. I know I'm strong. I know that I have, I'm very capable. I can think independently. I'm able to problem solve. I have a good mind. And with the resources that I have, who needs God? This was Esau. And that was how he built his empire. It was a great empire. Many kings, many dukes that came generation after generation a dynasty, great wealth, great proliferation. But you know that the men of this world ultimately would be disappointed at the end of their life because they would realize that what they have gathered for them is to no avail. When you are there on your sick bed, stricken, and you realize that no physician can heal us, no medication can prolong our life further than the appointed time that God has for us. So the natural man, with all his capability, with all that strength, with all that energy, moves all he can and reaches a point of disappointment. This is Esau's life. And the Lord wants us to understand so that our life will not be wasted. That we may set our affections on things above, the things that would matter for eternity. If you would be concerned for the soul of someone, 
close to you, someone that you would be willing to invest resources, time, to influence, so that when you go to heaven, ah, do you know what are the things that you can bring with you? Well, the souls to heaven. That's the only thing there in heaven, you know. Nothing else would enter except the souls of the redeemed. And when you talk about the beauty and the splendor and the glory, the glamour of the eternal abode, you, you would realize that you don't need all the things of this world. It doesn't matter. That is why the Lord behooves us to think and consider. Consider what is our life. In contrast, you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and their barren wives. How God humbles them. They didn't have much. They had little and they struggled only to live by a promise that God gave to them. They did not have the glory and glamour that this world would give as delineated in Esau's descendants. They were chiefs, they were kings, and you know, all the glamour of this world was before them. And verse 9 to 43 tells us the unprofitable life on the Broadway. Like the men who tore down barns and built greater barns, Esau found Canaan to be too small for him to live. He moved his family to Seir or Edom. There, there would be great political power. Many princes, many dukes will come from him. And Esau and his descendants looked for those things, sought for those things. Whereas for Jacob and his sons, well, they became a nation of slaves. You remember, they went into Egypt and they become the slaves of Pharaoh. And you see how Esau prospered. They must be scoffing at Jacob and his descendants. They are slaves. You see, you don't know how to order your life. You don't know how to get gain. Why do you follow God? You follow God and you don't have all the material things of this life. What is God for? Can you measure it by your stomach? You can't, right? Uh, there in 
lies the snare of the devil. Let us realize. And that is why, you see, when Satan tempted the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness, he tempted him for the three great temptations, the last of the flesh, the last of the eyes, and the pride of life. The sins of this world, the things that cause Adam and Eve to fall, your eyes will be open when they had paradise that God had made for them. Paradise! God provided everything for them. The world is for their dominion. And yet, Satan said, your eyes would be open. You'll be like God. Well, that's a trick. So for the rich man, he thought that he tear down the barn and he built a bigger barn. He would feel more secure. He would feel happier. He would feel more satisfied. He would feel more fulfilled. Uh, but you realize that it was not the case. And the Lord wants us to see that when we reign with Christ someday, right, the church is quite often a dismal picture from the world. The church is often persecuted, often disregarded by the rich and famous and the political leaders of this world. The world boasts of its power, but it is the Lord who set up kings and remove kings. And so for the people of God, Christian people, uh, we realize that we must keep ourselves in perspective. That true authority, true power, is having power with God. And the Lord wants us to understand. For the white gate... The broad way is really an all-encompassing, anything-goes gate. It is a description of this lawless and godless world. So Esau entered into that gate. It's a package deal, you know. You enter the wrong gate, it will lead to the wrong way, the wrong destination with the wrong company. The white gate leads to the broad way and the end of the journey is destruction. You will find many walking that way but it is nevertheless the wrong way. And so Esau walked on that way. You see the whole list of dukes that comes from him, the great empire, the pomps, each time he sits down for his meal, wow, his cooks, you know, his kitchen, his garden, his farm. Great! But it does not last, you see. 
it reaches a point, a limit, whereby we are asked, what is it that life consists of? Well, we would understand and know such a life when we go to the house of mourning it is there in the house of mourning that we see the end of a man and so here as we examine Esau and his life it was a materialistic life you remember he sought Pottage. He sold his birthright for a meal. He thought that these are the things that matters, you see. But it was not. It, was the, it is the will of God. It's the purpose of God. And here, for Esau, he misjudged. He didn't see... And God wants us to see and know that there is only that one entrance that leads to life. It is through the straight gate, the narrow, restricted gate, the gate of salvation, the gate of conversion, the gate of regeneration. All who enter must be born again. A change will come from within so that we will not go after that unbelieving person to be my wife to be my husband can you imagine you can't worship together the value systems are all different the gate is straight it expresses the difficulty in finding it because only Jesus saves. There's no other gate to salvation except in Jesus. Acts 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus says, I am the door and by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Adam and Eve had paradise with them, but they thought that there was something better. There was nothing better. In fact, that better thing that Satan gave them was the broad way to death and destruction. And they took it, took the bait hook and sinkle. How sad it is. How important that, it, that the people of God must have their eyes open so that we will not choose to live that life under the sun. That life under the sun is a dismal life, a disappointing life but that life with God so that we would use our time, our resources for the things that matter and will impact for eternity.
Do you realize that? Can you see that? Esau couldn't see that. And that is why he spent his entire life building his great empire that would last for generations and generations upon earth. He thought that it would perpetuate and go on forever. But it was so earthbound, you see, that life without God, good for this life, but not effectual for the life after. And so for the people of God, it behooves us to consider and think concerning our value system. What is of value must be able to last. What is of value must be eternal. And may the Lord help us to see and build upon the things that matters so that, you know, when you wake up uh, the next day, you have a goal and purpose for your life. And that goal and purpose is the goal and purpose that our life, our Lord Jesus came to do. He says in Matthew 28, and verses 18 to 20. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. That we would build disciples, make disciples of men who understand the eternal value system, who is willing to walk the straight and narrow way, who is willing to forsake the broad way, the things of this world, and willing to embrace the things of eternal value. May God open our eyes to see and help us to realize so that we would put away those earthly material idols that encumbereth our hearts and our lives. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. Strengthen us by Thy Holy Spirit. Protect Thy people that we may realize and understand those things that matters for life and help us to indeed be living a life with Thee following Thee and obeying Thy commandments and 
on the pathway to heaven. O oh God, help us, bless us. This I pray with thanksgiving through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.